Welcome to Bible Society's She Too podcast. I'm Rosie Dawson, a religion journalist and theologian, and for the past few weeks I've been looking with my guests at biblical passages which speak about rape and violence against women. I've been asking why Christians and others might need to engage with them and what they say to us in the context of the Me Too movement. My contributors don't always take the same academic approach, and they also come from a range of faith and non-faith perspectives. Bible Society isn't aligned to any single denomination and doesn't necessarily endorse every position taken here, but these podcasts are offered to help listeners engage with themes in parts of the Bible that are too important to ignore. Today I'm going to look not at a story, but at a saying, and it's from the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation. And I'm going to be discussing it with Dr Meredith Warren, who's Director of the Sheffield Institute for Interdisciplinary Biblical Studies. Meredith began by telling me why she thinks it's important that we included a text from the New Testament in this series. I think all too often people ignore um, the violence that's in the New Testament and sort of imagine that the loving God of the New Testament is somehow distinct from some mean, punishing Hebrew Bible God or Old Testament God. And first of all, that's a that's a Marcionite heresy from the second and third century. But also it promotes an idea um, that supports anti-Semitism, which is that Christians worship a loving God and Jews worship a mean God. And we know that's not true. So it's really important that we bring to light aspects of the New Testament that are just as problematic as bits of the Old Testament. Uh, so tell me a bit about where you're coming from in your approach to this text as a, as a reader, as a person. So I was raised in Canada in an Anglican church, um, which became very conservative and evangelical and towards that apocalyptic movement. And I left uh, the church and became a biblical scholar. And now I read the text from a historical perspective, looking at the original context, but also very aware that these texts are super important for communities today. So we'd better say something about apocalypse. It's a really difficult genre. I don't know what's the nearest we've got to apocalypse in our contemporary literary genres. Well, we still we still have apocalypses um, in film and literature. So um, Cormac McCarthy's The Road is sort of a post-apocalyptic text. Um, Margaret Atwood writes um, sort of apocalyptic literature, um, but it's literature that has to do with the end times and the end of end of the world. But if we look in antiquity, um, it has more to do with um, the idea of a divine revelation. So that's what the word apocalypse actually means. The book of Revelation is such a difficult read, isn't it? Because the imagery is so dense. You can't access half the time what the writer intended, even if the writer himself knew, which you do wonder at times. So when do we think it was written and what do we think the purpose of it was? Well, it was probably written towards the end of the first century or the beginning of the second century. Um, The text itself claims that it's trying to encourage its followers to resist um, the Roman Empire and the sinfulness that the author of that um, of that text sees in the Roman Empire. And it also is seeking to provide um, a hope in the end times that God will actually um, impose his own empire and with that empire, divine justice. Let's have a look now at this particular text. It's from the second chapter of Revelation. And it takes the form of a message to the churches in words which the writer says are those of the Son of God. So he gives some words of encouragement to members of the church in Thyatira, but then he castigates them for tolerating a prophetess called Jezebel, who is leading people into immorality and idolatry. And he tells them about how she and they will be punished. I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. 
I will strike her children dead, and then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. So, Meredith, what do you make of that? So, um, this is a really difficult passage because uh, the I in this section is actually the voice of Jesus, who is dictating this letter to John of Patmos to write down. According to John of Patmos? Yes. (laughs) So, it's, it's really difficult for... Christians to hear this, isn't it? Well, it's a threat of sexual violence. And first of all, um, Jezebel might be an actual human woman, a historical woman that that John of Patmos or his churches have come in contact with. There were at the time um, prophetic women's movements that believed that the Holy Spirit was in each and every person. So we've got a woman who's probably a prophet who's wandering around visiting these churches. John is very upset by that and as a result says, you're wrong. I'm going to use um, adultery and fornication as a metaphor for how wrong you are. And your punishment is going to fit your crime. It's going to be a sexualized punishment. Throwing on a bed of suffering. I mean, it's a violent term. Is it definitely a sexualized term? The bed in this context in Revelation is associated with um, Jezebel's porneia, which is her fornication or her sexual um, inappropriate acts. That's the Greek word. The Greek word. Yeah, porneia. So in talking about the bed and in talking about her fornication, um, we have an association in this text of Revelation between her sexual impropriety, whatever John thinks that is, and this bed that she's being thrown on. Okay, so John is unhappy with Jezebel. He sees her as a false prophet who is leading people astray, i.e. into idolatry. And the metaphor that is often used of people who are lured into idolatry is, is sexual imagery. Um, um, Israel is the harlot, isn't she? So John's John's continuing that metaphor here um, in talking about Jezebel and some of the people in in the early church. Mm-hmm. So John uses a lot of images from the Hebrew Bible. He doesn't use any direct quotes, but he uses a lot of allusions. Um, and certainly um, in books like Ezekiel and um, Jeremiah and Hosea, um, sexual violence and sexual humiliation are used as punishments for um, these metaphorical women who go against God's rules. So this is kind of in part where this imagery is coming from. Um, So another place where imagery like this is used, the sexual violence, is in Roman descriptions of their own political um, and imperial conquests. Tell me more about that. Um, Rape is a tool of war today. Um, Unfortunately, it was also a tool of war in Roman times. Um, Roman imperial conquests of their known world were written about by a lot of um, historians of the time, and it was also memorialized in art and sculpture. So this imagery is about conquest, and it's about subordinating um, lesser parties and holding up the dominance of the empire itself. So it's quite ironic, really, isn't it, that John is wanting to resist Roman oppression, but actually he's using the same imagery in talking about some of the evils in the church that he wants to deal with. Yeah, Um, John isn't particularly anti-empire as a concept. He just thinks the wrong one happens to be in power right now. He thinks that God's empire is the true empire that needs to be in place on earth. And so the mechanisms of empire, he's not that uncomfortable with. It's just how they've been carried out by the Romans that he doesn't like. But, I mean, Meredith, we're talking about metaphors. The other 
passages we've been talking about have been narratives. It's much easier there perhaps to take a, a line on them. Mm. It is a metaphor, but metaphors have a real impact in how we understand the world and how we categorize the world. And so if a metaphor of divine punishment in sexual assault is something that we use to govern our understanding of what sin is, that's a real problem because there are plenty of women sitting in congregations, about a quarter of them who have been sexually assaulted. And we have to think about whether we want them to think about their experiences as something that's a punishment for sin, or whether we want to reject that as a metaphor for divine punishment and come up with something else instead. Is this text actually read and used though? I mean, I don't hear Revelation read in the churches very much. Yeah, so Revelation um, isn't read as often as, for instance, Gospel or, or Pauline texts, but where we do hear it a lot is in responses. So congregations will often be asked to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And that line is actually taken from this section of Revelation, which is the letter to Thyatira, which de- describes Jezebel and her punishment and asks the readers to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And I, I guess in some quarters, some Christian quarters, I'm thinking particularly, I suppose, of America, you have a lot more attention paid to Revelation, don't you? Mm-hmm. You'll hear it a lot in churches where persecution is really important because there's this perception that Revelation is written in a time of great persecution. Um, and so evangelical communities in the States, for example, um, really embrace the message of Revelation, if not the exact text of it, in order to um, articulate an expectation of the end times being next week. I think it's quite appropriate that we have the siren <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> So what in the end do you think the value is in drawing attention to this difficult text? One of the things that I think is really important to take away is the idea of sitting in discomfort. This world isn't comfortable or shouldn't be comfortable for Christians. And I think that goes as well for how we respond to these texts that are are considered scripture. Um, And it's okay for us to feel discomfort with this text and to um, think that it's a text that challenges our understanding of how the world works and what's appropriate. And then we can come back and, and actually present a challenge to that text itself. Is this the mechanism by which we think paradise should be brought to earth? Or can we challenge that and say, actually, paradise is great, but we need a different way of getting there. Meredith, thank you very much.